0: Father God, we praise you indeed uh, for the wonder that is your son, Jesus. And we pray that as we uh, come to John's gospel, uh, you would show us again and again uh, his majesty and that we would respond with repentance and faith. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And good morning again. Uh, We continue our series, uh, the I Am series from John's Gospel, where Jesus says uh, um, quite a number of times, I am this, I am that. And uh, our passage this morning, of course, is John chapter 10. I want to start by asking a very important question. Uh, Who used a gate this morning? Nearly everyone. Who used a gate yesterday? or the day before, yeah, you've used the gate very, very recently so we should, I know it's a strange question but it should be a very simple question uh, Jesus says, I am the gate so I presume you all know what that means because we all use the gate and this is picture number one I am the gate the immediate background of this text is John chapter 9, obviously when a blind man has been healed by Jesus on the one hand But then on the other hand, he's been rejected by the religious leaders. They throw him out. Chapter 9, verse 34. But then we get this beautiful image of Jesus, the shepherd, who goes and finds him and cares for him. And now he says in chapter 10, verse 1, to the religious leaders, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen, enter the sheep pen by the gate, That climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. He says, I am the gate, which means that he is the accessible one. We come in through him and when we come in, we find refuge and peace, don't we? And we go out again. And as we go out, we leave to find the green pastures and the still waters. Uh, chapter 10 verse 10 I Jesus says I want them to live when I'm dealing with people says Jesus I want the very best for them that they would live those who try and avoid me Jesus says in chapter 10 verse 1 those who don't enter by the gate they can never be trusted because they're thieves and robbers especially verse 8 and maybe the thieves and robbers, we go, well, who are they in this story? Maybe it's those who pretend to be the Messiah. There was plenty of those around in the time of Jesus. Or maybe they're those Pharisees that like to boot out formerly blind men from the temple and cast them out. Maybe they're thieves and robbers too. Chapter 10, verse 10. They destroy people now do you ever wonder who talks like this when you're reading the gospels and jesus talked who talks like this who on earth would say it's good for you to have me because you know what i am the gate who says that and if you come through me says jesus then you'll find pasture and life to the full and if you don't come through me, well, it's just impossible. It's it's hopeless. H- who speaks like that? It's an incredible picture when Jesus says, I am the gate. Because if he's, he's basically saying, if you want to get in, then it's me. And if you want to get life, then that's me too. He is the means by which we have access to all we need. For the challenges of life and beyond. And so the next text asks us, well, have we entered in? Have we come to Christ? It's an important question because he says himself, I'm the gate. Uh, This is an incredible claim. But he's made incredible claims before this Jesus, hasn't he? What does he say earlier in John's gospel to to the uh, Samaritan woman at the well? Do You remember when he said to her, hey, I can put in you a spring. I can put inside you a fountain of new life inside you, eternal life. Do you remember when he said that? Or do you remember when he, he fed the crowd and after feeding them, he said, I'm the bread of life. And if you take me in, you will live through the grave. Chapter six, verse 51, he says that. Or last week we heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or John 11, I am the resurrection. If you believe in me, even though you die, yet you will live. These are staggering claims by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I am essential. I am crucial, I am vital, everything hinges on me. That's why he's the gate. He's pivotal. Jesus is the gate such that he is the difference between being gathered or not gathered. If you've got a dog and that gets through the gate, that dog is no longer gathered, is it? Jesus is the difference between being gathered and not gathered. Here's the difference between lost and being found. Let's look at verses 10 to 21. Verse 10, the thief comes to kill and destroy. He said that a few times now. I've come so that they may have life and life to the full. Now, let's pause for a moment. Is that how people think? Everyone wants life and life to the full, don't they? I assume they do. Who doesn't want that? But how many think following Jesus is the way to find it? Or or how many think avoiding Jesus is the way to find this so-called life to the full? I want life. I want a full life. And the way to do that is actually to step around Jesus. Isn't that what people think? Because let's face it, if I come to Christ, well, he'll spoil it all, won't he? But Jesus says the complete opposite of that. Jesus says, if you stay away from me, well, it'll be all ruined. But if you come to me, you will have life and life to the full. And again, here's another big claim. Now, when Jesus says you can have life and life to the full, does he mean that you're going to have a great life? A healthy life? A wealthy life? a fun life is that what Jesus promises I mean is that an easy thing to achieve for ourselves is it something we're able to achieve for our, our children can you offer your children a healthy wealthy prosperous life or our friends well Jesus says I'll give life and life to the full to anyone who comes to me but what he actually means is something else What he means is, I can give you a new life. A new life. And he explains it in in the next verse. See verse 11? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10, he says, I've come to give you life. Right. And then in verse 11, he says, I've come to give me death. That's how it rolls, isn't it? I've come that you might have life and life to the full. The next verse. I've also come to die. And he's come to die because he's the good shepherd. Because I'm the good shepherd, and this is the second picture. Gate, picture, shepherd, picture number two. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, uh, we can't do that uh, Hallmark card thing again. Last week I warned you about this. You know how it rolls when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And I said, well, the danger is getting really sentimental about that image. Uh, Although when Jesus says, I'm the gate, you're not going to find that on a Hallmark card anywhere, are you? Well, that's a tough sell. I'm the gate. Oh, yay. Uh, Nothing soft and fluffy about a gate. So don't think Jesus, when he says, I'm the good shepherd... Don't think that he's communicating that he's this soft, warm, cuddly, lovey, dovey figure. Because that's not him. Leaders in Jesus' day were shepherds. The kings in the Old Testament were called shepherds. And when Jesus claims to be a shepherd, he claims to be a leader and a king. And remember, like last week, this is not an idea that appears out of the blue. This is a truth that is anchored in the Old Testament. Psalm 23 is well travelled, isn't it? We know that. But Ezekiel 34, that passage that Don read out for us, well, there's some lines from there that are quite striking. Where this is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to the shepherds who take care of themselves and not the flock. They sound like thieves who come in to destroy, don't they? Or when Jesus says, because my flock lacks a shepherd, I'm against these shepherds and I will remove them. I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them and I will rescue them and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them, I will tend them, I will bind them up. The injured, I will shepherd the sheep. There are a few snapshots from Ezekiel 34. And Jesus says, Well, I'm that person. I'm the one that's going to do that. I am the good shepherd. The unfaithful shepherds in the Old Testament were the unfaithful leaders. The faithful shepherd of Ezekiel 34 is God himself coming to the world. And that is Jesus. And if you don't think this was a bombshell to the original listeners... You can see verse 31 from their reaction, where they pick up stones and try to stone Jesus, because they realize what He is saying. He's making a claim to be God. Now some believe these "I am statements of Jesus are connected to the great I am" statement in Exodus 3, where God appears in the burning bush to Moses and of course if Jesus is God it means that your view of Jesus can never ever be big enough if Jesus is God we should never fall for those people who think Jesus' claims about himself have been exaggerated (laughs) the Pharisees didn't think that we should never fall for those people that think that the church has simply amplified Jesus and made him out to be more than he really is. We should not fall for those people who just dismiss Jesus as just being a humble bloke, a country bumpkin, a teacher, that the church has kind of just got a bit carried away and has made, made out that he is much bigger than he really is. We should not listen to those people because they're thieves. And they're robbers and they're wolves who think you're getting too carried away with this Jesus stuff. We should not listen to them. Not in the schoolyard, not at the sale yards, not on the radio or the TV, not over the neighbor's back fence, not in the staff room and not at home. We should not let people steal our joy in Christ Jesus. Because their goal is very simple. Their goal is to make Jesus trivial and small and to make you feel inferior and even stupid. To steal Jesus away if that were possible. But this morning we see that Jesus is indeed glorious and magnificent. He's the light of the world. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He is everything we need. Yet for all the good things God says in Ezekiel 34 for the sheep, he never says what he says here in John 10. He never says that he's going to die. I mean, how could the God of the Old Testament, I, the sovereign Lord, pronouncing judgment, how could he ever say... I'm going to die. How can he ever say that? But here in John 10, well, we understand it here in the New Testament, don't we? Because Jesus said that he is God come into the world and that he, verse 11, he will die for the sheep. Verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I have a relationship with my people. See verse 15, just as God the Father knows me and I know the Father. It's a relationship, isn't it? Just as surely as God, uh, he knows the Father and the Father knows him. Well, he's the shepherd and his sheep know him too. Which means that we know God. Now, does that sound a bit bold and brave when we say that to others? Do we even say that? Do we say, you know, I have a relationship with the living God? Do you think that might sound a bit bold and arrogant to other people potentially I happen to know God to a non-believer I reckon it does but of course we know it's not actually arrogant because this is how Jesus teaches us to think and it's how he teaches us to speak he communicates we communicate he's a person we're a person He offers a contract covenant relationship. And what do we do? Well, we respond and we believe and also we listen. And so we say that we know we are indeed friends with the living God. And it's not because we're great, but it's because God is great. And it's because he is gracious. Verse 16, Jesus says there are others not yet Christian and I must bring them. And they will listen. Who are they? Well, it's probably beyond Israel. He's probably on about the Gentiles here. And he could still say the same thing today. There are still other sheep to go and gather in. And he explains how this will happen in verses 17 to 18. And how, of course, is it going to happen? Well, Jesus says he's going to lay down his life and then I take it up again. Now, when you think about that, when Jesus says, I lay down my life and then I take it up again, which is the easy bit? It's the dying bit, isn't it? Dying bit's easy. But to move from the grave and return to take it up again, back with your friends, well, that's that's really something else, isn't it? I lay down my life only to take it up again. And here is the proof. Here is one proof for Easter. You know when people get noisy at Easter? and Well, here's another proof. You can be sure that if Jesus went around saying, I lay down my life and take it up again, or if he says, I'll die and I'll rise, or I'll be killed, yet I will see you again. You can be sure that if Jesus goes around saying that, And then he doesn't come through with it. He's not able to keep both sides of the bargain. That's the dying and the rising bit. We cannot imagine the people of Jesus' day would say he's credible. But because the death and the resurrection was so persuasive, well, people followed. People followed. Notice verse 18, he's not being forced into his death. I lay down my life of my own accord. Right, so God's not some cosmic child abuser. No, Jesus' death is voluntary. I lay down my life willingly. What else is there to notice about Jesus' death? Well, notice that it's purposeful because he's doing this so that believers might live. I'll face the danger and death so that the believer lives. Notice it's effective because the sheep will escape death. It's missional because he says he has more sheep still to come. It's obedient, verse 18, because I receive this command from my father. It's sacrificial because we know the false shepherds will only save themselves. But this shepherd, Jesus, well, he will sacrifice himself. And it's transitional because he will be restored and my sheep says jesus will be given life to the full i will get death i will rise and the believer will have eternal life that's what he's saying now what does life to the full mean we've talked about this does it mean we have a super deeper life in this world well if we believe that then we're going to be disappointed But what Jesus means by life to the full is a life which begins and continues and it is abundant and it will overflow and it will take you through the grave. It's a life that will not run out, but instead a life that will run on. That's what he promises. And it's a big promise. Do we find it staggering that the world mocks the church for having a hope? As the world continues to say, well, maybe we can have heaven here. But we never get there, do we? Which political leader is going to achieve that, I wonder? Do you think it's going to be the next one? Do we long for the ideal political leader to deliver it? Or do we think after a while we should just start saying, ain't going to happen, people. Do you think it's fair to say that someone with the credentials of Jesus who says it's for the next world do you think it's worth trusting Jesus at this point point? and of course the answer is yes of course it is let me share some words from a Puritan his name is Stephen Charnock and this is what he writes from the 17th century I think it is he says uh, if Jesus only lived He had not been a saviour. If our faith stop in his life, in this life, and does not fasten upon his blood, it will not be a justifying faith. His miracles, which prepared the world for his doctrine, his holiness, which fitted himself for his suffering, were insufficient without the addition of the cross. Without the cross, we would be under the demerit of our crimes the venom of our natures, the slavery of our sins, and the tyranny of the devil. Without the cross we should forever have God for our enemy and Satan for our executioner. Without the cross we had lain groaning under the punishment of our transgressions and despaired of any smile from heaven. It was this death which as a sacrifice appeased God and as a price redeemed us. Nothing is so strong as to encourage us, nothing so powerful to purify us. How can we be without thinking of it? The world we live in had fallen upon our heads had it not been upheld by the pillar of the cross. No friend in this world, no association or group we belong to, no leader you know, no hero, no personal powers or abilities will be able to do for you what Jesus does. He's the gate and he's the good shepherd. And only he can take you from destruction and hell and bring you into life and life to the full. And so we need him and we need the cross. Amen.